This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello again, everybody. We are back with another podcast. Happy Tuesday. We are in transit doing all kinds of craziness this week, which is exciting. One of the things we're going to do is uh, we're going to be at the LA Auto Show. I'm excited about that. That's always fun to do. And uh, I don't know what we're going to see. I, <laughs> some sort of it some sort of EV concept. That I'm certain of. <laughs> okay, yes. good. Yes. That, that will always be interesting. And you're right. But speaking of EV concepts, the 2025 Polestar 5 has been revealed at Polestar Day in is LA. Is that a thing? You didn't know it was a thing, but Polestar Day Pol- is a thing. Apparently. Is that going to be one of those things that automatically populates on the calendar every year? I don't even know that was a day. Everything <laughs> is like something a, day. Polestar day. That's, that's no. absurd. Anyway, onward. It puts out a total of 872 horsepower and 664 pound-feet of torque from its two electric motors with an 800-volt electric architecture. In other words, a whole lot more power for people who aren't used to a lot of power. It's an incredible amount of electrical architecture. I struggle with Polestar because on one level, they continue to be this big Volvo EV throwdown. Mm-hmm. And then another part of me right behind it goes, do we need that? Is that necessary? Answering the question that... Yes, no no one asked. Hmm. It's very strange to me. On the other hand, answering a question that no one asked is the 4GT Mark IV, the mm. twin-turbo EcoBoost V6 with 500, 700, and 800 horsepower track car built by Multimatic for 1.7 million. So very exciting. Track only beast. It's another one of those cars that's not designed for a series, but all the guys, like the guy with the the Ren Sport Porsche we just saw advertised, uh-huh. all the guys yeah. that buy those are gonna have their own private track day where they just drive their track ready, but not track approved for events cars around and yes, bragging, they're not bragging each other. valid for any series in particular, yep. but Ferrari's doing this uh-huh. with a modificata version of their Le Mans car. Porsche's done oh, it. I'm seeing... I'm just uh, I'm tired. I'm Aston, just tired. Aston is sort of leading the pack on all of these. You know, do you want to put her around in your Valkyrie? No, you want to have it on track. So you get the LMP version of the Valkyrie. Yeah, I guess. I guess. absurd. So I'm seeing more and more car companies do this, which is quite interesting. They've got the crazy Le Mans version, and then we build them for customers. This has been done throughout history with sports car manufacturers. It it's not it new. Yes. It's just the continuation the of and quite interesting to observe these because of course all of us want this thing wow the ramifications of buying it and owning it and tracking it are huge there's always been kind of the the public version but i feel like we're in this renaissance or maybe this overexposure of cars that are just show-off level cars that don't fit any race series and may never ever get driven it's because driving's fun and but aren't street legal either it's a weird category but okay we've got to build cars fun race cars this is episode 849 and next time this friday november 17th 2023 is a live stream on our test drive channel for episode 850 all non-car questions mm-hmm. yeah it's going to be exciting the all car questions are typically when we do these questions things it's it's car questions it's, it's a little bit of everything this one is all non-car questions so they get really crazy we talk about all kinds of stuff it'll be an hour or so it'll go by fast we're gonna start that about 6 p.m mountain so that's uh 8 p.m eastern and 5 pacific so look for it there on there the test go. drive videos channel Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. 
Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you're cleaning your car after a summer of hard driving, be sure to wash in a cool, shady spot and use Griot's Garage Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer with Snow Foam. You can also connect the Boss Foam Cannon to your pressure washer and use Foaming Surface Wash and Polygloss. Griot's has also just introduced the Cordless Foaming Sprayer. You can create a high foam blizzard with little to no work and avoid wash-induced scratches, which is the safest way to wash your ride. Now, if you need to get bugs off the front of your car, try the bug and smudge remover right before you wash. Or if you've been tracking your car, track spray removes rubber streaks that always happen. The rubber smears and tire chunks come off really easy as soon as you use the track spray. Griot's offers wash and detail kits, which make it easy to get the right products together. Whether you just are doing a starter kit, it's your first time using Griot's, or you're breaking out a foam cannon and you're adding to your collection, Griot's has the right kit for you. Griot's garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquids are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, please note there's a new code. Use DRIVER10 for 10% off everything on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Great engines is the subject of our topic Tuesday from our friend Akim in Germany who writes to us. He's mm-hmm. included all the 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 10, 12, and 16-cylinder cars out of some very famous cars. Yeah. First yeah, of all, yeah. we have to answer the question, does the engine match the car? Do we think the engine fits in the car? Is it appropriate? Does oh, it match? In, in the original? The in original the, original, engine, the original car, car? that, they, okay. that right. can yeah, yeah. be purchased yeah, yeah. in, does the engine match? Sure, okay. And then subsequently, what other cars would we put these great engines into? Mm, I like this. This is really cool. Okay. Yeah, Good. this was actually a question uh, from our social media, but Occam, we decided to turn it into a Topic Tuesday because... There's so much to discuss here. Took a little bit of thought, too, yeah. What makes things interesting is the engines that don't belong in certain cars, not because of big power, but because of sound. And, Akam, you have reminded me at SEMA 2022, so last year's SEMA, about the K24 engine swap 1981 Ferrari GTBI from Mike Burroughs of Stance Work. That was wrapped uh, all white, but yeah. it was that uh, crazy engine in that yeah, thing sure. that everybody lost their minds about. Our shooter Chance is working with an owner who has a 1974 Ferrari Dino with the four-valve cylinder heads from the factory launch Stratos rally car that now mm. has a 9,200 RPM redline because oh. the blocks were, wow. it was essentially a Dino block in the Stratos yeah. and the Dino. And then, of course, our friend Jeff Hober, who's got the LS Swap Porsche 944, mm-hmm. surprisingly mm-hmm. balanced, very well sorted. He's brought up in multiple meetups, yep. and many people it. have driven it. Yeah, we have a review of it as well, and it's, it's one of those things where you go, oh, I was wondered about doing that. Jeff's done it well, and it's a really fun car. Akin's list is not all about LS swapping the no, world. No, no, no. In fact, that's not even on here. There's not To his credit, there is no, what would you put an LS in, because the answer is, Everything. Everything. That's, somebody has put an LS in whatever Especially, you would like to list. I want it in a Maserati QP5, and then I want that car back. <laughs> Although I'm sure it's in a junkyard somewhere so at this point. What, what you want is, is the, uh, you should get the LS7 out of the Z06, put that in the QP5 with the six-speed, and have yourself a car. That would be so Wouldn't great. Wouldn't that be great? I Such want a that car region. back. All right. I say you dive in. Where, where'd you go? Okay. Well, I mean, the first one here, look, again, you said it's three, four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve, and 16 cylinders. We have a long way to go, plus the zero-cylinder electric out of the Model S Plaid. These are the ones we're covering. First one here is the three-cylinder out of the GR Corolla. Now, that is a 
uh, how do I put this kindly? That is a high stress engine. It is a high stress. There's a lot going on there. It was in the Yaris. Now (laughs) it's in the Corolla. Does it fit? Do you think it fits the car that can? That it currently I can feel be found like in. it fits more in the Yaris than the Corolla. I would have expected a four cylinder in the Corolla because of what okay. the Corolla is. The Yaris is is the subcompact three cylinder yeah. in that. I get it. Yeah. Now, granted, it's a heck of an engine. Three cylinder in that GR Corolla is a heck of an engine. It's highly very, stressed. Very cool, You're right, but it's quite stressed. But you know the alt for that. That as soon as I landed on it, I was like, that's kind of obvious because that's a three hundred horsepower engine. Mm-hmm. In the Lotus Elise. That was exactly what I wrote really? down because of lightweight thinking. And because there's a Toyota in the Lotus Elise already. It agreed. And yeah. also the Elise is a unique car. Mm-hmm. And it has the, the whole point of an Elise is sourcing engines from other manufacturers, yep. Renault and Toyota. Yep. But I think that fits perfectly. Toyota engine, but three cylinder, but lots of power yep. and still keeping it lightweight. Yep. Absolutely. That's interesting we both picked that so, because I was sitting around going, where do you put a three-cylinder? And I was like, wait a minute. GR badges somewhere on your Elise? Is <laughs> that what GR we're talking? Elise. We, <laughs> we are putting GR badges on way too many things. Anyway, but that, that would work Stick though. one on the dog. But you can actually see the, the logistics there. Hey, one of my dogs is quite fast, so <laughs> she can, probably deserves the GR badge. Anyway, yeah, GR pup. <laughs> All right, the four-cylinder hybrid out of the Mercedes-AMG C63 I do think it fits. I think for Mercedes direction, they have always been known for extracting crazy horsepower yeah. out of very small displacement. But I say that four-cylinder could go very easily in the new Prius or very easily in an MR2. That's interesting. Okay, I like both of those. Because of the AMG history, that engine, I am still struggling with it in the AMG lineup. But it is a powerhouse engine, four-cylinder hybrid. It's, it's a it's powerhouse engine. You know what I thought of for it? A resurrection of the Mitsubishi Evo. You bring it into the modern Ooh. time, a little bit of hybridization in there, ridiculous amounts Ooh. of power. That's you bring good. Mer- you bring Mitsubishi up to the Evo, you make it that. The AMGs are already all-wheel drive. I mean, a lot of the thinking of what they did with that engine would translate into the thinking of the Mitsubishi Evo, and now you have a modern Evo with that powerhouse in it. That is fantastic. I, I, I kind of want that car, that. honestly. <laughs> I agree. Okay, moving on to the five-cylinder, currently located in the Audi RS3. That's Mm. the last five-cylinder available in North America, even though they shoved that in all of the RS cars in Europe. RSQ3. Does the RSQ3 have that engine too? I thought it did, but not available here, of course. So we kind of missed out on all the vehicles that that five-cylinder should be in. However, I think that would go very well in a Lotus Esprit. Oh, that's interesting. Sure. Old Lotus Esprit because that was such a wacky car. Sure. And it went through multiple engines over its lifespan. Yes, it did. How about the five-cylinder sound coming out of the back of the the Lotus Esprit? Even Mm. though I know Mm. they had the twin-turbo V8 Mm -hmm. in that car, you know, lovely sound, but I think it would keep the weight down. I think it'd be really interesting in an Esprit. I see that. I actually, I do think that works wonderfully in the Audi RS3. It's a great engine there. But then I have to state what I feel like is the obvious. Why on earth is that five-cylinder not available in the Volkswagen Golf R? Oh, that's good, it too. It should be in the Volkswagen Golf it R. Should. Separate it further from the GTI. You get back to the Wookiee Golf. Remember? The, the VR6, yes. early 2000s, the Golf R Same crazy Wookiee points, thing. Right? It's, it's so, I just, 
I think it should be available in the Golf R to separate it further from the GTI below it. We are talking, you know, all-wheel drive architecture on both. I, I would think that's straightforward. I realize we're talking about marketing, planning of, of products and all that, and that's why it's not, but that seems obvious. <laughs> that's really good. Moving on to the Flat 6, located in the Porsche GT3 RS. Does that fit in the car? Yes, I do think it's appropriate for Absolutely. that car. Yep. You're going to laugh at my choice because I am building the world's fastest Subaru Brat. The flat six out of the oh GT3 RS. Any chance a, that'll fit? Okay. In a brat. Okay. All right. Because, of course, Subaru also had flat mm -hmm. engines. And so, what model of unloved Subaru could I stuff that engine That's into? That's funny. All right. Will it fit in a brat? We'll make it fit. I had similar thinking. I, I do agree, of course. The GT3 RS, it's a it's a non-turbo. Sound coming out of a brat. True. With that engine. What? Crazy non-turbo flat six. I started to think about what else is a naturally aspirated flat engine good in that would really benefit from that killer engine. And then it dawned on me, <laughs> GR86. GR86, you're right. That's good. Because it needs a flat engine for low center of gravity. Uh -huh. Can we package it in that car? That crazy power <laughs> in good. that car, still naturally aspirated. Because the, the problem with the GR86, when people want to give them more power, is they typically, well, they go LS. No, they, they typically <laughs> yeah. will go crazy amounts of turbo. But one of the joys of that car is actually the nat naturally aspirated engine and the throttle response that provides you. That's good. And that is something that would be lost. That's why I actually think supercharging is better than turbocharging, but then people have trouble with that. So I just thought, wait a minute, let's just get a flat engine that's naturally aspirated mm. with a bunch more power solved in the GR86. I like that a lot. Okay, moving on to the V8 out of any Hellcat-powered car. Do we like the Hellcat? Yes, it's appropriate. And actually, Stellantis, Chrysler, FCA, what are we calling them now? The Stellantians, yeah. Okay. Stellantarians, they, yeah. They went through this phase, everyone knows, there was rumors about the Pacifica Hellcat. And then they looked at their Ram and went, you know, <laughs> Ford's got the Raptor. Yes, they did, thankfully. It would probably fit just fine. Now it's out of production. The TRX is out of production, unfortunately. But I have decided that engine is appropriate for all the Chargers mm -hmm. and Challengers. Sure, yes. sure. Drop that into a 1955 Mercedes-Benz 300 SL Gullwing. Oh, wow. The Gullcat or something. I don't <laughs> <The> know. Gullcat. <laughs> I like it. Something with attitude. The Gullcat. And what I like about that's it is... That's a SEMA build, my friend. <laughs> that's a SEMA build, but it's oh, irreverent man. because oh, yeah, it, for sure it offends all the purists. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this just has to be the original everything, and it's cool, but... Let's get some attitude out of that sexy gullwing car with a Hellcat motor. I bet you it'll fit just fine. I mean, we'll make it fit. We'll just take a sawzall and make well, it fit. See, that's the key thing. Please don't send us letters about this engine has this much height. And I measured it, and therefore it will never work. In We're fantasy playing We're here, totally okay? The, the, wouldn't it be cool if? How about a gullwing Mercedes from 1955? That's cool. I like it. With a Hellcat motor. And if it if we need to pound out the hood or cut a hole in the hood, sure. I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm living in a fantasy world where all these <laughs> engines fit perfectly, and I exactly. know that's not it's real. It's no problem. But anyway, yeah. It's no problem. The V8 and the Hellcat, of course, any of the Hellcat branded things, I think those are wonderful choices. I do agree with you where the heck was the minivan, but they did do wonderful things with it. I was thinking about the fantastic supercharger whine of that engine and how much great personality it has, and I just thought that would be fascinating, sacrilegious, but fascinating in the Corvette C7. Would sound great. That car can handle the power. It would be great to have that kind of power. I mean, we're talking about a little bit more power than it had in Z06 form, which was Z06 was so slow. True. But you've got the supercharger instead. Wouldn't that so be interesting? The, the Corvette C7 with a Hellcat mm. motor. It's also one of those builds where everyone's angry. 
The Corvette guys are mad. The Dodge guys are mad. Everyone's angry. Which all of them means you're right over the target. You, <laughs> you've done it right. I I love that. Okay, let's move on to the V10 out of a Viper. Mm. And no, I do not think that engine was appropriate for that car. Okay, interesting. It was a truck engine wearing a car like a cape. It was yeah. fluttering the wind behind the engine. Fair, yeah. I never liked that combination, even though you needed a big motor in there, of course. But I went on a minivan kick, and oh. just like the Renault Espace F1, that had the 789 brake horsepower 3.5 liter V10 where the second row of seats should be. <laughs> I think this would fit wonderfully into the Japanese version of the Toyota Velfire minivan. Because mm. I, it's like the Gundam character minivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, okay, so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Or a Honda Fit. I mean, the Honda Fit is laughable and crazy and it would funny. launch you into outer space. Yeah, it would. But I really like the next generation of what Renault did with this mm. Formula One engine. Let's drop the V10 into the Velfire minivan because I also just like the name Velfire with a V10. It is fantastic, yes. The Velfire V10. You can almost yes. see that badge. It almost designs itself. Yes. That's really, really good. Yeah, It has actually one extra big V and it says Velfire on the top line and 10 on the bottom. Couldn't be cooler. <laughs> That's very good. I do like that. Uh, the V10 and the Viper, here's the thing. Dodge is in such a weird place at the time they made that car. There was no other engine to put in it, though I agree with you. If you like backed up and went, what engine does this need? I don't think you'd ever wind up there. But in the late versions, 600 and almost 50 horsepower, 600 pound-feet of torque, that big monster V10, which sounds unique and has a bunch of shove. Can we get that, staying with a theme, in the back of the Corvette C8? <laughs> well, let's just get rid of the trunk. Yes, let's just put the V10 out of the Viper in the back of the Corvette Ooh. C8. Also very sacrilegious, which yes, I like. Yes, completely. It just throws all the history but out I was of just the window. I that like that. V10, which is, I mean, it's it, you said it already, it's a truck engine. But I, I feel like that V10 should live in the back of something. And I like your, yes. your vans. But I was like, what about, what does that sound like in the back of a C8? I like that a lot. That's fantastic. But we've got to move on to the V12 out of a McLaren F1. Mm. Yes, it's appropriate. There are, I think, many engine choices that could have been appropriate for that car. But I really like the van thing. I'm still on the van <laughs> You're still kick. on vans. I like it. It's funny. But I'm looking at the new Volkswagen ID Buzz. Not the old bus. Oh, man. But the reincarnation okay. of the right. buzz All for right. a V12. The V12 out of the McLaren. In the oh, wow. buzz. Wow, wow. It's cool looking. It's uh -huh. modern styling with a <laughs> v12 in it just Amazing. the revving right. coming right. out of that the sound coming out of that would be so on point i love it that's going to be a massively expensive build to yes gut the entire chassis and install yes. a v12 along with its appropriate running gear and make it all work and hook up the electrics <laughs> i love it that's uh that's a lot of money into that but i really imagine a buzz with a v12 that's very cool. I went with this. I actually like that V12 in the in the F1 quite a bit. I went with, okay, just, just project with me, everyone. Imagine the best era of BMW styling, the late 90s, early 2000s. Totally. That era of styling, okay? okay, when you had the nice 7 Series. Now, project that styling idea to modern times okay, and put that V12 in the re-new, sexy styling, reintroduced BMW 8 Series Coupe. Ooh. I don't even know what that car looks like. I kind of want you to sketch it, Paul, but that's what I'm imagining. Ooh. Is that style aesthetic, when they were killing it, brought modern with that V12? 
Would that force Maserati to drop a V12 from Ferrari into their Gran Turismo? And I love how you brought it back more? to Maserati. That's good. Yes, That's and then we're competing. BMW's got that V12, yeah, and yeah, Maserati okay. could have All a right. V12. Oh. That's good. I like that a lot. That's oh, good. That would be so good. We're moving on to the W16 out of the Bugatti Chiron. I do think it's appropriate for the car mm-hmm. because quad turbos. It was such a throwdown car that was its point. Yeah, <laughs> it was just a. Can you believe we did this? And then the next stat line was, Can you believe we did this too? That was the whole car. <laughs> I am staying with my theme of bricks that go way too fast. Okay, all right. Bricks that shouldn't go fast, like a Rolls Royce Cullinan with a W16 quad turbo Cullinan. Whoa. Or an Urus. With a V16, <laughs> a brick that shouldn't have that much power is going crazy fast and does crazy things. The brick with a W16. The quad Cullinan is quite good. Quad I, I, Cullinan. I, I do like that. That Ooh. is pretty good. I, I'm intrigued by that. <laughs> I, I did more sacrilege here, but I had fun with it. I thought, okay, that is a crazy engine. The thing about the the Veyron and the Chiron, whatever, the thing about both of those is... <laughs> whatever. It, but either one of them exactly. is because they are also, they're designed to try to be everything, okay? Yeah. And one of the things they lose in the process is just sheer attitude. You've got okay. this completely nutty engine yeah. in a car that what it doesn't, it puts forward like style and it gives an impression, but I don't know that you'd say it has an attitude. You know no, what I mean? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So yeah. the very final... Resurrected if you have to, create a new badge, the latest and greatest, we really aren't making them anymore. The very final Dodge Challenger has the W16 in it. Oh my gosh. Now with double the cylinders. Yes. Uh, come on now. Wow. The W16, I don't know what we call it. We that, need that something way cool beyond for Hellcat. That. It's way beyond the whatever the Rhino thing is. This is the very final last gasp Challenger with the Bugatti Chiron engine. That's also expensive sounding build. Oh, completely. You know, I whatever. Mean, utter mad. People are going to go broke making that work. Like companies are going to fold. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. Well, just like we have decided to put gas engines in electric vehicles, we got to go the other way. So what about the no cylinder electric out of the Model S Plaid? The biggest thing is the motors are going to fit just fine. It's the battery pack. What do you do with it? Where do you put it? And for the cars that I want to put it in, like a Honda S2000 and a Miata, <laughs> you're going with half the battery pack at most. Yeah, but I am right. desperate to try to figure out and sort out mm. that Roadster, the tiny classic Roadster, mm. the electric motors will fit just fine. I sure, don't need sure, an all-wheel drive, yeah, so yeah, yeah. we can easily package it yep. at the rear axle. And then what do you do with weight distribution for the battery pack? But the mm. flat floor isn't going to work for any of these cars. So yeah. we have to play Tetris. We have to stack them up <laughs> strategically around the car to really even it out. But once we do get there, I think we can arrive at a, an appropriate weight for the car. Interesting. Okay. All but right. it's not going to be an appropriate range, especially for how you're going to drive it. Because yeah. suddenly be like, yes, this is amazing. Yeah, you got to charge it. I got to charge it. <laughs> Great. That's very funny. So I really thought about this because I thought, you know, the great thing about the Model S Plaid and that whole drivetrain is the sheer power the sheer just don't think about it. All you have is power all the time. I started to think about what cars would benefit from that thinking, and I'm resurrecting another model. Okay, by the what? way, I had a lady okay. next to me. I was in my Cayman, mm-hmm. and she was in a Model S. It wasn't a Plaid. What's it matter? All still, the Tesla drivers know fast. they can just take yep, everyone. Yep. And she didn't look at me, and I was not trying to... I, I knew that I would be toast. Mm-hmm. I knew she could leave me, sure. and she did. <laughs> she made it known. She put her stake in the ground. <laughs> It was like a... Put her heel on the gas pedal. We are gone. She left me for dead. I was just like, I'm not even going to try because I... Yeah. Absolutely. Go. 
drive off, blast into the sunset, have a wonderful day. And she did. It was, <laughs> it was just like she had to like, oh, I'm next to a Porsche. I got to really show him. And she did. Was she like, was gone. Whatever. Goodbye. I was trying to think about what can we, what's a, what's a really good car where all the drivetrain needs to do is have plenty of power. I'm resurrecting again. <laughs> this is it. where the Volkswagen Phaeton goes. An updated Volkswagen Phaeton. Don't put any of the Audi engines or the Mercedes engines or anybody else's engines in it. Don't even put a Volkswagen of any kind engine in it. You put the Model S Plaid powertrain in a rethought Phaeton. On a serious note, does this justify Volkswagen bringing the Phaeton back because of the Lucid business model? Excellent point. That's kind of what a Lucid Air is. It's a great point. A Lucid is kind of the electric Phaeton. Is it not? And I think that's a great... I hadn't thought about it, but I think you've really landed on something. I think that's very interesting. I mean, Tesla's trying... I mean, the Model S's are expensive. They're not the level of luxury that a Lucid is at. Yeah, true. And Lucid's are not 50 or 60 grand. They're They're 100 grand. You're right. More. up, yeah. So could Lucid's exploration and everybody sort of rediscovering large, Mm -hmm. luxurious sedans give justification to Volkswagen to actually bring back the Phaeton that now people would pay attention to be like, you know what? That actually fits now because the Phaeton was never a real driver's car. It had decent power, but it was all about gliding luxury and you enjoyed it for that. Exactly. That's what it's for. This is interesting. And you'd have plenty of power all the time. That was one thing I was always surprised by, even though I didn't even have the W12. I was always surprised by that car always felt like it had more power than it should have. It already had too many batteries. So, oh yeah, for sure. It already (laughs) had battery issues. May well just make up the entire floor. (laughs) I like this thinking. That that sorts that out perfectly. Phaeton EV. There you go, yep. That is a business case for the Phaeton to be brought back. And then people wouldn't laugh. A $90,000 Phaeton, well, now if it's at the level of competing against Mm -hmm. a Lucid, and Volkswagen could turn them out at scale, which Lucid isn't. Yeah, true. People wouldn't laugh. Probably. Occam, this is a great one. I really enjoyed this. It was fun to just kind of play around and, and just kind of the, the mind tease of this mm-hmm. and the fantasy world of it. And we know that half of these wouldn't ever work, but that's part of the fun as well. <laughs> Where's our budget coming from, by the way, to build it all isn't. these? We've just created like SEMA for the next decade, by the way. Yes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paul C. in Canada is writing to us because he's discovered that he cares about what he drives at age 40. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There's there's no perfect time frame. It's whatever you came around, you got diseased with the car disease. We're thrilled to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. We don't care what age it's at. I just like that it came around. Agreed, Paul. Really appreciate the email. I love your insights here in your email. And you're, you're doing a lot of introspection. Absolutely. Self-reflection yeah. here. Yeah. And he's woken up to the fact that he does in fact value his vehicle as more than just a reliable appliance that allows he and his loved ones to get from point A to point B safely Mm. and as economically as possible. As he's now just a few months away from reaching his fourth decade of existence, as of this email writing, it would be fair to say he's a bit slower than most in coming to this realization. I think it depends, but okay. It depends. Maybe it's the fact that his first vehicle was an 84 Pontiac Phoenix. I had to look this up. 
a phoenix. It's not good news. It's it's essentially <laughs> it's the Chevy Citation, boxy Chevy Citation oh, uh, of that era, and it's it's done as a Pontiac, and it's not. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Is really all I can come away with. <laughs> uh, of course, of course. I mean, this is this is the thing. It scars you early, and you're just like, well, this is what exactly. cars do. All of our first cars did. Well, every vehicle Paul has owned since then handled like a dream in comparison, because of course they did. <laughs> okay, Low he always bar. Believed, <laughs> he always believed it was simply one of those. Things he he wasn't a car person. He had no problem getting behind the wheel as long as it was reliable and practical and economical and wasn't white because that Phoenix was a nasty dull white hue. <laughs> so so you're scarred against white cars. That's funny. All right, keep going. Until the last year, he's had for the first time the financial freedom to actually purchase a vehicle. He wants to be forced to buy something due to breakdown or situation change. He, he doesn't want to have that. And for the first time, he can just go, I would like that car. I'm not, it's not the last one quit running and I can't resurrect it. I literally right. could go buy something fun for the first time ever. Amazing. This is a red letter day. Paul. It is for sure. Yep. He and his wife currently have a 2014 Honda Odyssey and an 09 Honda Fit, of which both are fully paid for. How about a V10 in that Fit? Since it's paid for and you don't care about it anymore, it's really high miles. Well, Let's find a crashed Viper. Since you've come to the car hobby, let's now give you a project car. Let's give you a goal for SEMA. That's, that's how far down the rabbit trail we're going to go. Yeah, well, they're, they're Honda people. His wife loves the Odyssey and how easy it makes to transport their three young kids. Their oldest is six years old to all the activities. Mm-hmm. He appreciates it for well, how totally. it accommodates their multiple summer camping trips. They've got that little Jayco pop-up camper. But he's decided he wants to upgrade from this fit of okay. nearly 300,000 kilometers, which is 186,411 miles. <laughs> we appreciate you doing the math. That's very funny. Okay. He wants something with modern amenities like heated seats and steering wheel and something that his wife would actually prefer to drive over the minivan when on her own. Mm. He had in mind a budget of somewhere in the forty-five to $60,000 Canadian and he says he's got an overly analytical nature, so he's been wrestling with his love of practicality over his desire to sacrifice the practicality for a more engaging drive on his sizable commute. Love it. Okay. They live 20 minutes out of the city. We don't know what city. I don't think that was in here. So we're, we're making assumptions. We don't know, Paul, but any drive is at least 40 minutes round trip. Okay. All right. Paul's first thought prior to his auto enthusiast awakening. I like that. That's a good term. Yeah. He says that it was an EV that was a no-brainer of a choice. Mm-hmm. Economical. They've already got solar energy at their house, less maintenance, fewer parts to potentially fail. But this thinking was altered after a number of test drives with all the available EVs in his available area. This is fascinating. He drove them all: the Nero EV, the Bolt, the BZ4X. That's which a is, hard name. Which should That's be, a, but it's also it's a, it's, it's a poor execution too. That one yeah. should be chucked out. The Model yeah. Three, the Kona EV, the Ionic Five, and the EV6. And it was the EV6 was the only one he could even consider getting after driving all of those he found them all essentially boring and the ev6 was okay but then he said hang on they're having trouble in canada getting good allocation for popular evs it's a minimum wait of six months and it's pretty likely you're going to pay a quote-unquote market adjustment as well so that was terrible wow and then he was sitting here going okay and then if he actually looks into like normal charging infrastructure that's not great either so okay he was feeling defeated and he went over to Honda dealership and he jumped in the brand new Honda Civic Touring. And he was like, I had a smile on my face the entire time. As soon as he merged on the highway, he was like, this car is amazing. And he hadn't realized until that moment how much enjoyment he actually has kind of subconsciously gotten out of the Fit. Because the Fit is, we've talked about it before, the Fit drives surprisingly well. 
We know people that have tracked fits well, okay? So it is it's <laughs> on a purpose. Good, seriously. <laughs> they didn't get lost <laughs> in the parking lot. Like, what am I doing? Exactly. There's a curb. I'm on track. Yeah, it's not that. Where am I? So he said it's it's not a fast ride, but he said it does have a little bit of go-kart feel. You are 100% right. And he feels like he enjoys pushing it in corners. And all of that had vanished in the EVs. And now getting in the modern Civic brought him right back to it. He is a Honda person. And we do love Hondas, but I want to suggest something that isn't a Honda, Paul. And I know good, good. that is going to be a big step. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, this discovery of your auto enthusiasm is also a big step. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Honda does have cars that can feed this, knee, this well, disease. Niche is the wrong word. This <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. discovery. Yes. They, they're excellent. They well done. Yes. Do make cars for that. But you had a third gen 91 Prelude, mm -hmm. which he misses. He also had an 88 Accord and a 92 Integra. Okay. They've done the Honda thing. And that. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I like that you went to the dealer to drive something and you just discovered with a Civic Touring the fun mm -hmm. of driving again. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, since you sort of ran home to what was familiar, yeah, yeah. The I don't know how easy it is for you to expand based on the dealership in your area. Again, we don't quite know the area that you're located in. But since you said you're hardwired to always primarily consider practicality and cost effectiveness, he's feeling those requirements, those hard and fast requirements start mm, to soften mm. because he pictures how much more he would enjoy a moderately sporty daily driver like a Civic Touring or Acura Integra. And, how about we name something that isn't Honda? Agreed. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that'd be good. Branching out. I mean, we love Honda. There's not not there's anything wrong with them at all, but it's just like let's. There's a lot We've of stuff out there. Had a yeah. lot of them, mm -hmm. and I have one car that I want you to find to test drive and consider. And with the EV thing, I like that you drove so many of them: mm -hmm. two, four, six, seven EVs. Yeah. But unless you really want one, I think EV buyers know that they really want one and they're really deciding or they've already decided much like the performance car you've always wanted. I've always wanted a 911. People just know they want yeah. a Tesla. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted a Tesla. So I'm going to get a Tesla and guess what? They got a Tesla. Mm -hmm. But I think you're just in exploratory mode and I think you've got plenty of future to dive into EVs as okay. they improve, okay. the charging infrastructure improves, the dealer experience, all of the things sure, surrounding sure. them will improve. And I think that might push you over mm. into EV ownership in the future. But for now, I think you need to go buy a Mini Cooper JCW. Ooh, that's a good one. I think you're going to cackle. You're going to discover noises mm. coming out of your mouth and you're like, am I that crazy of a person is that me laughing that that's loud that's what i sound like when that's, i laugh i'm maniacal <laughs> i love it that's great that is the car that's good i think you should consider because sure you can get your kids in there they're surprisingly spacious mm -hmm. but they're quirky they're fun that's good they're, i really like that they're different they're interesting unique and i loved that jc uh, jcw cooper yeah, yeah, that we it's, had it's really good yeah i front wheel drive i don't care i mean Mm. Paul, you're used to Hondas, so you're used to the front-wheel drive it's feeling. Not a problem, yeah. But I just want you to have something with power, but it's not a Honda. That's very good. It's got That's style to it. It's got character. So much power, and you're going to laugh like crazy when you drive it every time, mm. and you're going to make up excuses. That is the biggest litmus mm -hmm. test that you're asking mm -hmm. for. When you start making up excuses to go take the new car to get... Ice or milk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We need ice cream. Are we all out of ice cream again? <laughs> oh, it's low? Oh, I'll just go now. <laughs> I'll just go now. I should yeah. go now, right? Uh -huh. Just by the, Could you eat that so it's done by the time I get back? Yeah. And the other litmus test is if the weather isn't good and you still find a reason to go. That you should. Absolutely. I love that. That's a great choice, Paul. Well done. 
Uh, Paul writing in, I love that you have this this car awakening. I think it's wonderful. I, I want to applaud this new direction. I think it's great that your wife is being tolerant. But <laughs> what you haven't said about you want her to be able to drive something, you didn't tell us if your fit is manual transmission or if you guys can drive manual. I'm a little unclear on that. We don't know. And but I, know. I would My suggestion say is in the Honda anyway. world, well, but you can go either way with the Mini. Yeah, you, you In the Honda world, your car is the Civic Si. Because it's well True. within your budget, and that's the car. It's going to have plenty of backseat space, great manual transmission. That is your car in the Honda world, done, full yeah. done. And honestly, I'll also say this to you. The Civic Si is better than any equivalent Integra currently. The only place I feel like the Integra starts to make sense is in Type S form. Below that, I just tell you Civic Si all day long. Yeah. So yeah. the problem is, though, that the Civic Si is a manual transmission only, and it doesn't have power seats, and you're looking for a little bit better amenities. Now, I do know that I think it has heated seats in Canada. I don't know what other amenities it has that we don't get here. So your Si is better than ours, so maybe it gets by. But I also don't know if that's nice enough. Hmm. So then I thought of two others in this style. One is the Elantra N. Totally so different than anything you've had. Four yes. doors, four seats, usable. And if you don't want a manual, it's available with the DCT. Which is excellent. We like it a that lot. That is a fantastic dad car. That is a car that if you are running errands with the kids and your wife, you could all get in there and you can drive it very slowly and it'll be fine. <laughs> you can also drive it like a complete hooligan all the time on any road you can find and cackle. It does both very, very well. The yes. other one that does both well, but actually is not quite as fun, is the Golf GTI. You've, I, that's not on your list. That's At true. At least drive yeah. a GTI. I actually think you would prefer the Elantra N because of value for money and the fun of the driving, but you can't ignore the GTI. That's a really, really good all-purpose all that is still fun. And then I have a wild card for you. This wild card is stepping away from you've had little – affordable hatchbacks, but you've got a little bit of money to spend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What And you have the, the, the minivan, which is very nice. It's not a luxury car at all. What about, total wild card here, because we haven't talked about anything like this, the Genesis G70 sedan. The thing about the Genesis G70 is it is a luxury sedan, but it's rear-wheel drive, which is not something you've had much of, has great dynamics, but it's also just a nice place to be. If you end up in just commute mode, wonderful place, a respite. If you want to take your wife out for a nice date night, fantastic. But if you have any opportunity to push that car at all, great rear-wheel drive dynamics and fun to drive. It's a great one. If you've got an email like Paul's, you've got a great car awakening, you've rediscovered your inner, I don't know, anything about cars. We, we got a new term out of this, the Auto Enthusiast Awakening, the AEA. There it is. I'm telling you. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Oh, and you can include your Topic Tuesdays and your car conclusions too. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mitchell Edwards is asking a question on Facebook that I, I pondered a bit. Interesting. Oh, yeah? He said, if we're picking between the Integra, not the Type S, the Integra with the CVT, so the lesser Integra, or the new Prius with good tires, we've driven one of those recently, which one would we pick? And then does it change if we talk about Integra with the manual? 
Huh. So we're not talking type S. We're talking okay. a lesser Integra. Okay. And I'll tell you, I, the thing with the Integra for me, and, and I've said this in our test drive piece on the, on the, the what was it, the A-spec Integra that we had mm-hmm. yeah. versus the type yeah. S that we just dropped on the test drive channel. I, I don't find the normal Integra to be enough of a standout that I would pick it over something else. To justify it's, the extra expenditure. Yeah, I just I'd, I'd get a Civic Si. I'd yeah. get something yeah. that's not Honda at all. I just I don't find the lesser Integra that interesting. I find it quite interesting at fifty grand front wheel drive with some real like performance capability to it. I actually find that interesting. It's still hard at fifty grand because now you have other options, but it's intriguing because it's unique at the Type S form. In the lesser, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. So I would actually pick the Prius with good tires over the Integra with the CVT. And I'd probably save a little bit of money. Wow. The problem is once you go manual, now I do really like manual transmission. That would help. But the reality is at that point, I'd end up buying Civic Si. It's really good. I posted the Hyundai Santa Cruz on our social media, and we've got a lot of Santa Cruz questions, starting with the Bruce B asking, how many people have I recommended the Santa Cruz to? How many podcasts is it? Sorry. 1,036 people. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm totally kidding. Yeah. A, a lot. But every time we get it, it's just so great. And we filled it with tires from Redestein. Those are Quattrack pros that are going on Todd's newest Cayenne. They have, yeah. Out of his Cayenne collection. Yes. So we've got a video update coming from you. My on quiver the- of Cayennes. <laughs> <laughs> in about a week, I have an update on that car I couldn't coming. couldn't do it. Yeah. Your new, uh, your new Cayenne with, with the Redesign tires, which is going to be amazing. Thronefield says, the Santa Cruz versus Maverick versus Ridgeline. We mentioned the Ridgeline. We mentioned we the Ridgeline. Santa Cruz Santa versus Cruz. Maverick yeah, we in a video that's there. on our original yeah, yeah. channel. We talked about all three. So if you haven't seen that on the original channel, it is, it is actually available there. So you can look at that there. Along these same lines, we're talking about Santa Cruz and its inspiring questions. Marvin47 says... Why do we think the Explorer Sport Track? Remember that? That was the Ford Explorer, which was the first like oh, huge yeah. breakout CUV concept, SUV concept, right? It was it was everywhere. Everyone had an Explorer. And so they started making it in multiple variants. Mm-hmm. Then you had so you had two-door Explorer. My wife's first car when Ooh. I met her was a two-door manual transmission Explorer. They I remember doors, that thing. There were four doors. And then they made the Sport Track, which was a four-door mini bed like the Santa Cruz. He said, so hang on. Why did that not catch on? But the Maverick and Santa Cruz have been very successful. First off, have they been very successful? I mean, I know the Maverick's <laughs> doing well, but the Santa Cruz and Ridgelight numbers, I don't think those are great numbers on either. But the El Camino, I mean El Cruz. Seriously, El, El Cruzo. Anyway, El Cruzo. The, the, the reason I think the Sport Track didn't catch on as well is because at the time, I don't think people were looking for pickup alternatives. I mean, Ford was selling the Ranger at the time. It was a small pickup with a little bit better bed. The Sport Track bed was really little. Also, the Explorer was everywhere. You could get an Explorer mm-hmm. in all kind of variants, that early Explorer. So why would you get it like that? The Santa Cruz, yeah, it's technically a Tucson, but it's not like the Tucson. And the Maverick only comes one way. So you're not going to begin, I mean, you're not sitting there at the dealer going, do I want that version? Do you want the Maverick or not? Do you want the Santa Cruz or not? It's not a variant of an already, I see too many of them car. It is a unique thing on the lineup. And I think that only helps. Which I feel like the second coming of the Brat was that. The four-door Brat was nasty. (laughs) And it comes down to styling because the Ford version of the early Ford was not pretty to look at. It was very much a me too, let's just cobble something together and make it as easy as we can. These are legitimate efforts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a 10-inch longer wheelbase than the Santa Santa Fe. Yeah. You know, the Maverick is, like you said, the Maverick. These are legitimate efforts and they are by themselves, so... 
That must be the difference. Xanaduski Doo on Instagram has been, <laughs> has been pondering. Woo-hoo. Sorry. Are EVs the 3D TVs of the auto industry? Oh, interesting. Okay. Various iterations, the fits and starts, and the gimmicky hype, and the lack of widespread adoption. You reckon? He's asking. You know, I think they're still in their infancy despite the... They've been around for mm-hmm. a long time now. I mean, EVs are not new, but what car manufacturers are trying to do to position their brands is new. Mm, that's good. Because there's a lot of adoption. There's a lot of business plan, you know, rethinking. And that's just based on the political winds, which way mm-hmm. things are blowing mm-hmm. currently. And they're trying to figure out what plans are we doing to meet what current goals and that's going to change. And so how can we hedge our bets? And the the brand associated with just EVs versus we've got a lineup of various things, but I still feel like people want something good to drive mm. and a regular TV is still really great to watch. And <laughs> organic led is really crisp and bright. I never really caught on to the, I, I was never interested in 3d TVs. I don't know if you were, but my dad went through a craze section not oh, that long ago. No kidding. He was obsessed. A few of his movies were 3d and he did the whole 3d DVD thing. And I just never really got it, but he was all about it. I it was never my thing. It never caught on with me. And I, I just thought it was, you're right, a bit gimmicky. But I, I don't think EVs are necessarily gimmicky. Tesla has proven that to everybody. It's the iterations, you're right. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to start really shaking out because it just can't be all these offerings of various cars. And the biggest thing that I've noticed is the badge engineering. Because mm-hmm. of the platform that makes it so easy to plop a different style SUV or CUV on top of the same roller skate mm-hmm. platform, mm-hmm. That iteration, I think customers are kind of wise to that. And they're going to want something that is actually better to drive because it just seems like the way to make an EV is create a wheelbase and a four inch thick battery on the floor. I have a skateboard. Plop on the car. And what differentiates it, not just from an amenities or style standpoint, but from a driving standpoint. Agreed. Agreed. We keep discovering things about various EVs that are surprising in a good way. Mm Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I cannot tell you what makes a Nissan Aria different than <laughs> yeah, the I Volkswagen ID Buzz or what will feel yeah, yeah. different about it. The style, certainly. Sure. The color. Sure, sure. But that's not why we buy cars. Yeah. There's they have a to be interesting sameness. and fun. Yeah. Interesting. LepWRX has an interesting question here. He says uh, he just learned to drive manual about a year ago and is now dailying a manual WRX. Good for you. He said he often keeps his heel on the ground when he uses the clutch. So his shift motion is mostly with his ankle rather than whole leg. Should he try and transition to a whole leg movement? He said he finds his heel on the ground to be a much more smooth way. And he's just curious about our thoughts. What I think is interesting is how many manual transmissions have you driven beyond your car? Oh. Because I find that every manual transmission, no matter which one you drive, takes a little bit of different body position and nuance to work the clutch and the shifter. And no matter how many manual transmissions you've driven, I remember when I owned both the 300ZX and the Lotus at the same time, they required completely different shifting. For one period of time, we had the Lotus, the GR86, and the 300ZX all in access at the exact same time, and there could not be three more different cars as far as how you drive manual. It's the same idea. You mm-hmm, push in the clutch, mm-hmm. you move the stick, you release the clutch. Why do they feel this different? Different clutch springs, different clutch friction, different weights of cars. So my point here is, 
I think it's great that you can keep your heel on the ground and you can work the clutch in your manual transmission WRX. There's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. I don't think you could take that skill into every car. There is no point in you learning to drive your WRX differently if that's working for you. That's great. You want the precision. It's smooth. Fine. But I don't think you could jump into a Mustang or a Challenger with a manual or even a, a Corvette or a 300ZX or a Lotus. Every one of them is going to feel a little different. And so your body position and what your foot needs to do is going to change and you have to adapt. See, Hayden Norris, 62, is looking at the R53 Mini Cooper version lately. Mm, those are cool. I found the world's cleanest time. one ever. <laughs> 186,000 miles when I bought it, and it was showroom condition. <laughs> Which is crazy. It was nuts. The supercharger veins were polished Seriously, by the had, prior owner. He had spent the entire—here here was, here was the known issue. The known issue was supercharger starting to fail and then leaking. So he had a lift in his garage, and the winter prior to me buying the car, his indoor winter project was he took the supercharger off the car, rebuilt it, put it back on the car, and then realized that the car was only worth five grand, which is what I bought it for, with 186,000 miles, no leaks, and it was brilliant. The thing about the R53s is they were wonderfully chuckable. They were fantastically quirky and fun to drive. They were actually far more reliable than the next gen right behind it was when they first went to turbocharge. And I thought the supercharger was a little more interesting just to drive. Cool. So if you can find one that's clean, not leaking, I say yes. Expect some level of maintenance because at this point they're all pretty old and have got miles. The one I had was a complete unicorn. Alex HC is leaving us with a track daily crush, Mm. but it's a twist. It's a track daily trailer queen. Those are dirty words. Trailer queen. Oh, really? Trailer queen. Okay. Well, so we're not crushing anything. We're not crushing. All right. Yeah. Okay. 289 Shelby Cobra. Or a 1966 Corvette 427, or a Jaguar E-Type V12. Track daily trailer queen. You drive. You try to drive that Jaguar. See, the problem is I. I. But that was the third I gen. Don't wasn't like it? the third gen yeah. V12s with the big bulbous, more bulbous styling. Yeah, that would almost kind of... crush that car. I hate to say. <laughs> okay, it. we're crushing it. Uh, <laughs> what <laughs> were the other two? Sorry, the uh, 289 Shelby Cobra, which is of course going on track, and the 66 Corvette 427 daily because you know yeah. daily burnout. Get your daily I burnout totally here. Agree with all of those choices. <laughs> yes, guys, thank you so much for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Write to us. You know where to find us, and we're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. 